Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. What's up, guys? This is the Rebel Report Extra I promised you. So I promised you and then unpromised you and lied and then unlied to you. I recorded an interview with Adam Sparks this morning. He covers Vanderbilt for the Tennessean. And it went about 18, 19 minutes. And so I was like, I'll just call it audible and clip it on to the end of Mailbag Friday. And then the more I got to thinking about it, I was kind of like, actually, Mailbag Friday kind of goes long as is, so I'll throw it up right now. So I recorded this at 9.30 in the morning, putting it up at like 2 and two o'clock in the afternoon. So pretty much like everything else in my life, it was spur of the moment and at the same time somehow wildly indecisive. So um, this will be like something you can listen to this afternoon, obviously tonight. If you're listening to this after Mailbag Friday is up, which would be probably like 9, 10 o'clock Friday morning, then you could just go listen to Mailbag Friday before or after this and kind of have double your podcast for Friday. So talk to Adam a bit about Vanderbilt's offensive talent, how they're sort of underachieving with the offensive talent. They have, you know, namely Lipscomb at wide receiver, Pinckney at tight end. Of course, you got Keyshawn Vaughn and running back in. Vanderbilt's offense is still kind of sputtered as a result. Talked a little bit about how they struggled with discipline defensively, which is uncharacteristic of a Vanderbilt team because obviously for a number of reasons, Vanderbilt is always well-coached, well-disciplined because they it's kind of making up for limitations they have elsewhere. We got into the game some, kind of how Vanderbilt could get maybe find a path to a bowl after a ridiculous start that included LSU at Purdue and Georgia in their first three games. Talked a little bit about Derek Mason's job security in the sense that not necessarily he's getting fired, but I find his position in the Vanderbilt head coaching job in general just honestly sort of fascinating because it's one of the it is the most unique job in the SEC and probably also not probably it is the hardest job in the SEC. He's been to bowl games two out of the last three years, but then at the same time they've had some administration changes in the athletic department. Um, and I think the school as well, varying, commit, varying degrees of commitment to football. I, I always find Derek Mason's job status fascinating because I think he's done a pretty good job, but he's following the greatest coach Vanderbilt's had in a century. So I don't know. I found some of that interesting. But without further ado, here is Adam Sparks. Better late than never because of my indecisive brain. So here he is. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest, Adam Sparks. He covers Vanderbilt Athletics for the Tennessean. You can find him in the pages of the Tennessean or the Tennessean.com. Adam, I really appreciate you taking a moment of your time to join us today. Hey, no problem. Good to be on. So this is an interesting matchup to me because it's it's two teams that have probably taken their lumps a little bit in the season's first couple weeks. You know, Ole Miss comes in at two and three in Alabama last week. I know that that went like it's going to go for a lot of teams this year. Probably not named LSU and Auburn. Vanderbilt's interesting to me because they start they were one and three, but they had a start to the year that I I don't think anyone would trade with them. I, I mean it, it's I know that probably wasn't necessary by design. Of course, they don't control the SEC scheduling. But just kind of going into the year, what was the anticipation about making it out of the first month, given that you have a Georgia and an LSU, and kind of what is the mood like now that they're on the other side of it? Yeah, they had Georgia and LSU in the first three games. That's the highest two opponents that Vanderbilt's ever played in the same season in the first three weeks. Um, 
You know, I, they had Purdue in the middle there. Purdue is a really good offense, at least when their quarterback was healthy, and it, he, he was back at that time. I think generally people said this team's going to be 1-2 and two or 0-3 oh three through three games, and they were 0-3. Oh it was an ugly 0-3, oh though, and I think that took people a little bit by surprise because they weren't really that competitive at Purdue. Uh, to beat Northern Illinois last week was was fine. You know, Northern Illinois is the defending MAC champion, but um, again, the, the feel of the game last week, uh, the win over Northern Illinois when Vandy won by six, uh, felt like a loss. Even in the postgame press conference, it felt like you were you were asking the team about losing to Northern Illinois, not barely beating them. But uh, this is a this is a pretty incomplete team right now. There's some good pieces on it, uh, but it, it it looks like four games in, they really haven't figured themselves out yet. You mentioned incomplete team. Is there any area in particular? I know they maybe have struggled a little bit offensively. And then, of course, I don't know how much you can indict them for for LSU because they're scoring points on anyone. Is there any one part that they're really kind of soul-searching for at the moment? Well, I think defensively more than anything. um, You know, well, first let me say offense early on. I think most of the issues were that they had a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, and the offensive line, more than anything, was just really beat up. They had uh, two or three starters, depending on how you count it, that were out the first few games of the season. Um, and they already had new starters there anyway. So the offensive line was a shell of itself at the beginning of the season. Uh, the, the, offense is, uh, the offense has some really good pieces. Um, but th- I, I would say the defense is the bigger issue. Uh, Derek Mason is a defensive guy. Um, Jason Tarver, their defensive coordinator, has uh, been in the NFL the last few years with the Raiders and 49ers. The good defensive minds on the staff, uh, but they replaced so many guys in the offseason personnel-wise, um, and they just haven't they haven't looked like what Vanderbilt teams have been in the past. Usually, Vandy is good against the run; they're very disciplined. This team actually has had a whole lot of penalties. They have not been very good against the run, but they've been even worse against the pass. They've replaced virtually their whole secondary, and that shows right now because statistically they're one of the worst pass defenses in the country. As far as offensively, this is this is a this is to me this is a big tell week for Ole Miss because they go to Alabama last week and really like I mean the result was predetermined. I mean it's hard to indict their defense for kind of giving up that amount of yards to that receiving core because that might be the best receiving core I've ever seen in person. But you come back this week, and Ole Miss's issue, particularly defensively, has been in the secondary. And it's come against guys that aren't exactly you know, world beaters at quarterback in the sense that like Chase Garbers was a fairly limited quarterback for Cal and he set four career highs against him. The kid from southeastern Louisiana had a decent bit of success through the air. Riley Neal, I would say, is probably better than both of those guys. But you know, not exactly Tua either. And so I, I think this game really for, for Ole Miss's sake is key in the sense that if they let Neal get going, particularly in the intermediate passing game, it's not going to end well for them because they've been pretty good against the run, but they've been awful against the pass. What have your impressions been of Riley Neal? How capable is he of kind of beating teams with his arm? Because I know they have a really good running back in Keyshawn Vaughn. Yeah, it's um, Neil has been serviceable, um, serviceable, serviceable, but not necessarily spectacular. Uh, I mean, he's a guy that that passed for about seven thousand yards in his career at Ball State. So he he can do it. Um, he's trying to work into the offense and figure it out. Trying to figure out how to how to use the pieces he has. I mean, 
Vandy has an all-SEC tight end, an all-SEC wide receiver, and an all-SEC running back. They've never had a trio like that, to my knowledge, in, I don't know, 60, 70 years at Vanderbilt, having those three pieces at skill positions all at the same time. And so I'd say there's a little bit of urgency on the offense that you don't want to waste this type of offensive talent because because you're having to plug in a new quarterback and have him learn on the job, but that's essentially what they're doing. Um, you know, there's going to be a light bulb moment for Riley Neal somewhere in this season where he figures out how to use his pieces well, and maybe it happens this week, maybe it happens later on, but, you know, he's, uh, he's got one of Vandy's best receiving cores in years, uh, and they've been able to connect to some extent. Kalaja Lipscomb led the SEC in catches last year, and he has found him pretty well. Uh, but the big, big one is Jared Pinckney. Uh, Pinckney is projected as, as high as a late first-round draft pick, uh, the tight end. Um, last week he was targeted twice, only had one catch for one yard, and uh, that wasn't received very well. Um, you know, So they, they know they've got to utilize their pieces better, and Riley Neal's still trying to figure that out. He's fine throwing short throws. He's, he's accurate. He's productive. Even some with intermediate throws, but he hasn't thrown the ball downfield well. And I think the biggest issue with Neal is that he's just not going through his progression quick enough. You expect that with a new quarterback and a new offense, but, uh, but they've got to have, they've got to have the light bulb come on. And eventually it's going to, their biggest thing is if they can get the running game going with Keyshawn Bond, then all of a sudden you have, you know, third and short as opposed to third and long, then Neal can be more comfortable throwing short and intermediate. And then you also set up the play-action pass, which he's pretty good at. They just haven't been able, been able to utilize that as much, especially against the Georgia and LSU early on when they were putting second and long and third and long situations. I don't have Vanderbilt's schedule up in front of me. I was trying to pull it up just a second ago, but the <laughs> internet in here is not cooperating. But for Ole Miss was interesting as far as like this being a year – you know, with the NCAA penalties and all that, it was always going to be a struggle for them, but it would have been a huge kind of feather in Matt Luke's cap if he could get this team to the postseason. And really, it was kind of, you were going to kind of know by the end of September. Could they beat one of Memphis or Cal and get to 3-1? and one, They'd be in pretty good position. Obviously, they didn't do either one of those things. They, they kind of failed the toughest two parts of what I kind of considered to be a four-part four, you know, four test in the first month of the year. With Vanderbilt, even with the schedule being that difficult, is there room for them to kind of right the ship and kind of find a path to six wins? Yeah, there is. Um, now, it's, it's a narrow win. Um, you know, when you look at their schedule, they've got three ranked teams on their schedule. Two of those are already behind them. They still have Florida on the schedule ahead, but that's the only ranked team they have. I would say they have more toss-up games this year uh, than they normally would, and part of that speaks to the, the fact that the SEC East is, is down once again. Um, you know, they Purdue was a toss-up game. They lost that one. I think that's something similar to, like, the Memphis game with Ole Miss. You know, when you're counting wins at the beginning of the year trying to get to six, a game like that you count as one you probably need to get. Um, Purdue was that for Vanderbilt. But, yeah, they've got – I mean, they've got UNLV and, and East Tennessee State. That's you would think that's a couple of wins. Um, you know, then then yeah, you would think Florida would be a loss. Missouri probably a loss, and then that leaves you with a handful of SEC games that you're you know you're trying to pick off about three of those: Ole Miss, Tennessee, Kentucky, maybe at South Carolina. 
you, you, you know, that, that is gettable, that's doable, but you've got to win most of them, and Ole Miss is certainly in that. Um, I think reasonable people around the Vandy, uh, Vandy program look at this and say, if Vandy beats Ole Miss, then a bowl game is maybe closer to 50% chance. If you lose to Ole Miss, it probably drops down to about, uh, you know, 20 or 30% chance. This is an enormous game. Because it's a comparable opponent, it's a winnable game. Um, it's a road, it's an SEC road game, and they're going to have more of those ahead, obviously. But um, it, it's 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 a win they've got to have, and it and also for morale purposes, uh, if they win this one against Ole Miss, then they've got a UNLV coming up. They've got some other SEC, they've got some SEC East games they can win. Suddenly, you look, you see the chance for a winning streak. But if you don't beat Ole Miss, I, I don't think you can count on beating. Uh, some of the other teams on the schedule. That's interesting the way you put that in percentage because I would say that's eerily similar to what kind of people realistically were gauging Ole Miss's bowl chances going both into the Memphis and the Cal game. I mean, people, you knew how to get one of the two. If you won one of them, it was probably going to be about a coin flip whether you got to a bowl and now the path, as you kind of mentioned for Vanderbilt, is very narrow for this club as well. Um as far as Keyshawn Vaughn, you mentioned not being able to get the run game going. Is that a product of some some insufficiencies on the offensive line what has kind of been the hang-up there well it's been okay the last couple weeks he rushed for 138 this last week against northern illinois um he he had some he had some pretty big plays got over 100 yards against uh against lsu but it's been it's it's been hit or miss for the most part um you know i guess lsu he had two long runs and then was kind of stuffed the rest of the time you kind of expect that against a, a lot of their early schedule um, but he's got a 200-yard game in him. I'm not so sure it's going to happen this week. But, um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn led the country last year in runs of 60 yards or more. Um, he led the he, he had twice as many 40-yard runs last year than any other back in the SEC. He's a home run hitter. He's not, he's not your typical Vanderbilt running back that, you know, grinds out four yards at a time and that sort of thing. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn is a... Give him a crease and he'll go 60 yards type of back. Um, he, he projects far better as an NFL back than Vanderbilt running backs normally would. So, um, you know, the, last week the offensive line was at full strength for the first time this season. Um, and, you know, the, all those guys were back for week two uh, for their second week together this week. So I expect the offensive line to be a little better. They were shaky last week. They were hit or miss. Uh, but he did hit a couple long plays last week. If he can get, if he can, they can give him room to have long runs. Um, he's a guy that can go for 150, 200, no problem. Um, in the bowl game against Baylor last year, I think it was three runs of 60 yards or more, and he can, he can, he can do that quickly. Um, but I, I, I know Ole Miss knows that too, and anybody that plays Vanderbilt will load up the box. Uh, stop the run, and I'm sure Ole Miss will do this, load up the box, stop the run, dare Riley Neal to throw the ball, because so far he hasn't thrown it deep that much. He's thrown shorter routes, which obviously if you're loading up the tackle box, you can defend that too. So I'm sure Ole Miss will come out and say, we're not going to let Keyshawn Vaughn beat us, um, and we dare you to throw, and Vandy's going to have to adjust to both sides of that. Yeah, I think you're dead on with that, and I think that's ultimately where the game's won and lost, because an Ole Miss defense that was one of the worst in college football last year. I mean, just 
I mean, bad in all fronts. They couldn't defend the pass or the run. Has actually been, in Mike McIntyre's 3-4, fairly good against the run this year. But as I mentioned, has had all kinds of struggles in the secondary. And I think that's kind of where this thing gets won and lost. If, you know, they kind of limit Riley Neal to pedestrian-like numbers, then I think they'll fail pretty good. But if they let him do what Chase Garbers did against Cal and, you know, what Nick Starkle did again in the second half of Arkansas, I don't think it's going to turn out very well for Ole Miss. I think Vandy probably wins the game. Kind of transitioning to some big picture stuff. It, Derek Mason is in, one of the more interesting coaches in the SEC to me, because like from a ten thousand foot view, obviously I don't cover Vanderbilt. I, I I I'm not around the program every day like you are, but like you start hearing rumblings of maybe he's on the hot seat, and I know they've had some 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 administrative changes, I believe, in the last little bit. But for, like from my vantage point, he's made a bowl game two of the last three years. What is kind of the temperature with his job security, and like what is I guess his approval level right now, for the lack of a better phrase. Yeah, you're right. That it's a it's a hard thing to gauge. Obviously, the standard historically at Vanderbilt is lower than the rest of the SEC. That's just that's just a fact when you look at the last um, 60, 70 years. Um, you know, Derek Mason has, uh, if you judge it by bowl appearances, and you know there were there are more bowls than there were. 20 years ago, but if you judge it by bowl appearances, bowl eligibility, um, winning percentage over a, a, a few years, Derek Mason is the second or third best coach in the last uh, half century at Vanderbilt. The problem is the best coach in that time is James Franklin, the guy right before him. Right. So if you compare Derek Mason to you know the last several decades, then Derek Mason has done a pretty good job at Vanderbilt because he's done far better than most. Um, if you compare him to his immediate predecessor, um, then he hasn't he hasn't got Vandy up to the standards that Franklin set. You're, you're right; he's gotten to bowl games in two of the last three years. Um, if if the if the former AD was still the AD, then I think Derek Mason would be completely secure. The fact that they have changed athletic directors, I still think he's in pretty decent shape. Um, but this is a this is an interesting year because, like I mentioned, they have offensive skill skill talent like they have not had in a long, long time. If they were to go four and eight with that type of talent, then you know, then you say they wasted an opportunity, and next year is probably more of a rebuilding year. Um, so you miss an opportunity. It probably didn't get any better next year. And uh, if you can get the six wins, then, hey, that's three bowls in four years, and no Vandy coach has done that in about a century. Um, so, you know, it, it, this is a pretty pivotal year. And, and the other part of this is, um, you know, Georgia and LSU, which were home games for Vandy, it was about 80% visiting fans for those. And even in the Northern Illinois game, uh, it was announced like 24,000. It was probably closer to half that in the stadium. So attendance is really down. Uh, ticket sales are not good. Uh, it's not good optics. You deal with that every year at Vanderbilt, but, uh, that's what makes a game like this so pivotal, pivotal because this is a win here is the path to, uh, to bowl eligibility again. And, uh, a loss here, I think, puts Vandy in a pretty deep hole. How you mentioned the the you know there was a lot made of how many Georgia fans and LSU fans like you mentioned you say people deal with Vanda every year how did like other than the obvious winning huge how was James Franklin able to kind of get the buy in that 
from Vanderbilt's fan base that you really hadn't seen in a long time. Obviously, the overarching thing is you know winning games at the rate he did. But other, is there anything other than that that he was you know I guess good at that kind of ha- added to that buy-in that maybe that hasn't happened under Mason? Yeah, I mean it's he got him over the hump. He, you know, that's a pretty good topic to talk about around here because everybody has their own theory about why it worked under Franklin. Number one, he's a really good coach, and we can see that from his time at Penn State. Um, but you know, he he recruited pretty well. I I think that's overstated a little bit, but he did recruit well at certain spots. Um, they were good on the offensive and defensive lines. They. He got the most, probably even more than his recruiting, I think he got the most out of the players that he inherited um, because a, a lot of his wins were with players that he did not recruit that he brought in. But he, recru- he recruited also pretty well. Um, but I think more than anything, it was just kind of a morale thing. Um, they got enough momentum. Um, he took advantage of a few weak spots in the schedule, racked up some wins. Uh, SEC East was down then. It's still down now. And so games that used to be not that attainable for Vanderbilt, he went in and won them. The, really the difference between James Franklin and Derek Mason to some extent is that uh, James Franklin won about two-thirds of his toss-up games. Derek Mason's won about half of his toss-up games. And I'm talking you know, SEC East games or games like this week's game uh, with Ole Miss that are if you play well, you can win it. If you don't play well, you're going to lose it. And that's it's just a comparable opponent. James Franklin won most of those games. Derek Mason's won about half of them. And that's the difference between a guy who wins eight games in the regular season and a guy that wins six games in the regular season. I think it's as simple as that. At Vandy, there's a, there's a fine line between a five and seven and a seven and five team. And Derek Mason has been on the bottom of that where James Franklin was on the top of it. That's fascinating stuff. Adam, I really appreciate you joining us today. That was really great stuff. You can read him in the pages of the Tennessee and Tennessean.com. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Sparks. Adam, again, I really appreciate your time today and safe travels getting here on Saturday. All right, sounds good. I'll see you in Oxford. And that was Adam Sparks. I hope you guys found that interesting. Uh, not a whole lot to get to as far as the game. It's, I mean, it's a game between two struggling teams, as you have probably surmised by now. But I thought there was some interesting stuff in there about how Vanderbilt's kind of sputtered offensively to start. Some big picture stuff with Vanderbilt and kind of where these two programs are under their current head coaches. So uh, be sure to look for a mailbag Friday. Tomorrow it's the People's Holiday don't miss it. Send me your questions. Participate in the People's Holiday. It's not really a holiday if you don't recognize it. So shoot me your questions from all forms. Text me. Tweet me. Please don't call me. Uh, email me. But, yeah, so we'll be back at it with Mailbag Friday tomorrow. Thanks. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.